ever noticed how some people in their own personal journey, some people seem to soar while other people seem to sink? Ever noticed that? You can get involved in conversations and you look and go, every time I'm around this person, they seem to be seeking, just sinking and sinking deeper into shame and guilt and turmoil. And this person seems to be soaring. What's up? Some people seem to endure life and other people seem to enjoy life. Some people seem to just be at a place in their journey where they're able to give and live generous lives. And others, every time you're around them, they just seem to take and take and take and some people you meet, you go, man, what a kite. All they need is a little wind. They want to soar, and other people are bricks. Every time you're around them, they just feel like they're wearing themselves out, and they want to weigh you down. You ever notice that? And it's like, what is kind of the common theme, and what is the, uh, the thing that differentiates these people with each other? Here's a premise statement I want to make to you. I want you to get it. You will never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. You'll never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. So you've got to pause and ask yourself the question, what am I pursuing with my life? What am I pursuing in life? Where am I? Where am I going? And why am I going in that direction? What am I pursuing with my life? Now, we believe that only Christ and Him alone, as we sing this morning, and Christ alone is their true lasting hope to get us through today and get us through every day and even get us through eternity. Paul would write this in Romans chapter 5. And I love this text here. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Write it down, go back and ponder it. My son Benji, when he was going through his second elbow surgery, his second Tommy John surgery, had a Christian uh, evangelical doctor up in Tennessee. And when this doctor was preparing to do surgery on Benji the second time, he looked at Benji and said, I want to encourage you with something. He goes, Benji, I'm praying for you. And he prayed with Benji even before he went back into surgery. But a couple of days before the surgery, he goes, Benji, I want you to memorize Romans 5, 3 through 5. And Benji said, I already have. And here's what the verse says. Paul writes and he says, we rejoice in our tribulation. Stop. We rejoice when we're going through trouble and adversity and heartache. We rejoice in tribulation because tribulation brings about perseverance. We would never learn how to persevere and stay with it and keep going if we didn't have adversity. He says we rejoice in our tribulation because it creates this persevering spirit and perseverance leads to proven character. Our character gets exposed and proven and develops in the midst of tribulation. And he says, not only do we rejoice in tribulation that brings about perseverance and proven character, it brings about hope. It brings about hope and it brings about hope and Christ as we lean into the gospel, we start to find identity and refuge and healing in Jesus. We rejoice when we go through tough times if it leads us to the cross. So here's a biblical working definition of hope, and Jesus offers hope. Hope is a confident anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. Hope, biblically defined, is this confidence, this anticipation that God, how he's worked in the past, guarantees that we get to participate in what he's going to do. If we study the narrative of the scripture, 
we read that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we start to look at the life of Abraham and David and Jeremiah and others, and we see how God worked in those guys' lives, what we anchor in on is this God is faithful. This God is trustworthy. Even though you may go through adversity like Joseph and being sold into slavery or, or Job with the plagues and pain that he went through, God is God and God is going to lead me to a favorable outcome, even if it includes pain and suffering. Yeah, and so uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. By faith, men of old that had this hope gained approval with God. They had this confident anticipation that God is good and God is going to lead us in a favorable direction. So you walk in here today and you may have pain and sorrow and hurt and difficulty going on in your life and you may be battling some type of addiction and you're looking going, I just don't know if life is worth living. Let me, let me tell you, it, it is. There's freed addicts all in this room. There's freed addicts all in this room. I got a text yesterday from 5B, and he says, brother, I just want you to know, I just landed from being away for a week of business out in California, day 20, no longer a slave, I'm free. He's walking in freedom one day at a time, but it's possible. Have you ever noticed that when people lose hope, they lose their ability to dream? Life seems like, man, I'm stuck. It's dirty. It's messy. It's, it's brutal. Uh, when people lose hope, discouragement replaces joy. You ever notice that? When, 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 when you start to have this absence of hope in your life, and you're going through some difficulty, discouragement overrides joy, fear, replaces faith you ever seen that you get so consumed with what you're going through that you fail to run to who you can go to right when people are going through discouraging times they empower their mess look at what i'm going through and they need life coaching to say look at who you can go to People that are going through pain oftentimes and difficulty and discouragement, they, they, they look at their junk and they want to tell God how big their problems are. And then all of a sudden they start getting freed up and they start telling their problems how big their God is. It's a perspective piece. People that are going through a hopeless time, anxiety replaces prayer. Insecurity takes over confidence and courage that you have in your life. Tomorrow's dreams become again just to, today's nightmares. And it's like I'm stuck and I'm living in the same place over and over and over. My buddy Stan is with me today. And a couple of weeks ago, he said, share with this brother here. I said, I will. And this brother ends up confessing that 
Man, I would go through days like five and six weeks. I didn't even want to get out of bed and I didn't want to even get up and do anything. What was he telling me? He was telling me that discouragement had taken over his soul and he had empowered hopelessness and anxiety was trumping faith and joy in his life. And I was like, brother, again, listen to me. What you're going through will always be inferior to who you can run to. That's the reason the psalmist would say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist would say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. What are you hoping in today? Where are you turning your eyes today? Howard Hendricks, one of my favorite teachers and writers, made this observation. He said, uh, regarding discouragement, he said, discouragement is the anesthetic that the devil will use on a person just before he reaches in and carves his heart out. If, you, if, if the enemy is going to try to carve your heart out, he's going to get you to a place of discouragement, hopelessness, fear, anxiety. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When hope is deferred and hope is absent and there's no hope in the hood, man, it makes my heart sick, my heart aches, my heart's broken. And there's so many people that we deal with week in and week out that have broken hearts. Discouragement, disappointment leave you heartbroken. So as we talk about biblical hope, we're not talking about escaping the reality of problems. Problems are always going to be around us. Jesus promised in John 16, in this world, you'll always have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. So in this world, you're always going to have tension and conflict. And the universal language is going to stay suffering because all of us are going to hurt until we get with Jesus and we or face to face with him for eternity. We're in a fallen world. Sin disrupted humanity at every level. So living a life of purpose leads to encouragement. And encouragement leads us to hope. And hope leads us to a better future and a better destiny. And so as I look at you today, I realize there's so many of you that walk in here and you're hanging on by a thread. You don't know if your marriage is going to make it. You, you don't even know if you want to fight another second. But I'm going to tell you, there's hope in Christ. It's worth standing up one more day. Don't throw the towel in. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that's fighting for you. There's a God that wants to lead you into victory no matter what you're going through today. Hope is available in Jesus' name. Now, here's what I want you to get. It's in your bulletin. Check it out. Hope changes how we see ourselves. When we're living in this confident anticipation of a favorable outcome under the sovereign hand of God, it changes how we see ourselves. When you look in the mirror and when you're walking in hope, you don't see yourself as dirty and filthy and dumb and stupid and ugly and defeated. You start to see yourself in light of the gospel. 
that if God had a wallet, my picture would be in it. My God is crazy about me. My God would murder his son and shed his blood to redeem me. My God is crazy about me. So when you start to look at yourself, you start to see yourself differently because you go, man, look at what God is doing in me. Look at where God has brought me from. I love this passage right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to give you a few verses uh, to ponder. But 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says, We do not lose heart, and we never give up. Though our body is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day in Christ. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What we're going through is inferior to what I'm going to. And I'm telling you right now, God is doing something in my soul. The flesh is dying. But my spirit is becoming more and more and more alive every day. We do not look at things which are seen, but we look at things which are not seen. Things that are seen are temporal. Things that are not seen are eternal. When we live with eternity as the backdrop, where I'm going determines what I pack every day, how I Live every day, and even in the midst of affliction and adversity and tension and turmoil, God is saying, I'm doing something inside your spirit. Our brother Julian, when he was fading, his body was decaying, but the spirit was exuberant alive. And we walked through that, Robin. We walked through that, Mama Kay. And we saw that brother, even though this fleshly vehicle This earth suit was falling apart. The spirit and the soul was soaring. You're triune. You're a triune being. You're spirit, soul, and body. And when God awakens the spirit and makes the spirit alive through Christ, he unlocks the soul, the thinking, the emotions, the will, the reasoning. And all of a sudden, that corrupt state of thinking all of a sudden starts being transformed by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit, and we start to think right, and the body is free to function. And so although the body may be decaying, the spirit and the soul is totally being refreshed and renewed and and quickened and maturing every day. So when Paul says, you know what? You're going through momentary light affliction. It's not going to last forever. The worst thing that can happen to you is for you to die and go to hell. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, that's not going to happen if you come to faith and repentance and surrender. So the worst possible thing, again, get it, get it, get it. The worst possible thing that can happen to a blood-bought child of God will never happen. The best thing that can happen is for me to meet Christ and have abundant life and eternal life. That's going to happen. So when Paul says it's momentary light affliction compared to the weight of glory, you're going to spend eternity with the king, and he wants to give you life and health and purpose today. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see yourself. The second thing hope does is this. It changes what we value. You ever notice when you really get right with God and get free with God, before Christ, we could only value the things of this earth. We wanted to stockpile all of our wealth. We wanted to have everything we could here. But Matthew chapter 6 says this, powerful verse. I love uh, the translation out of the message in the New Living Translation. And listen to what he says. He says, don't hoard 
treasure down on earth where it gets eaten by moth and corroded by rust. Don't do it. Don't, don't hoard. Don't store and gather all your treasures here where it can be stolen by thieves. He says, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe. So, so you start to look at this and you go, what do I value? What's the most valuable thing in my journey? What do I value above all? And I can tell you right now, I value relationships above all. The vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationships with others. Stuff, it rusts. I mean, every car in the junkyard used to be somebody's pride and joy, but it rusted. It got broke down. It fell apart. I want to invest in that which lasts forever. My own personal growth as well as in the growth of others. My wife, my kids, those closest to me, what do you value, Tim? I value that. I value the word of God because grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. What do you value with your life? Hope allows me to value the right thing, to pursue the right thing. I'll never possess what I'm unwilling to pursue. What am I pursuing? I don't want to hoard stuff here, stockpile stuff here. So it changes how I see myself. It changes what I value, but it also changes what I do with my life day in and day out. That's why Paul would write again in Ephesians 5, and he would say, be careful how you live. Watch how you're living every day. Make the most of every opportunity. Understand what the Lord wants you to do and do it. God, what do you want? What is going to glorify you? What is going to satisfy you? And then he says, let the Holy Spirit control you. Hey, God in you. You don't have to live in the logical. You can really live in the theological. You don't have to live every day in the natural. You can start to live in the supernatural. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you. What do you value? How, how, how do you see yourself? And then what are you doing with your life? Now, here's some things, just observations of how hope brings about transformation. And you can look at people's lives and tell whether they're walking in hope or whether they're walking in hopelessness, whether they're walking in joy or whether they're walking in defeat, whether they're walking in freedom or whether they're walking in ruins. And I was writing this out like people with hope have meaningful relationships with other people. You ever notice that the most hopeful people have healthy relationships? Because if you're walking as a hopeless person and a defeated person and a joyless person, you don't like being around you and you've concluded nobody else wants to be around you. But when you're walking with joy and freedom and love, look at the relationships. Another thing is people with hope, they're able to overcome stress quicker. When anxiety and pressures come your way because you're living a life of hope, it doesn't take you down and wear you out. I've looked at Sarah, and I've looked at Rachel, and I've looked at Jen, and I've looked at some of our girls who have gone through betrayal and rejection and heartache, and they continue to have the Holy Spirit just glowing through them because they're able to overcome their stress because they trust in one greater than themselves and even greater than their pain. And you start to see that going, what's happening? She's got hope. People that are hopeful are, check them out. Physically, they're healthier. Because, because we conclude, I was talking to a guy on this trip, and he had lost 100 pounds, and he had 
gained 100 pounds. And he, he, he was like, I got to lose weight again. And I said, stop. It's not going to work. He goes, what do you mean? It's not going to work. And this is the dude that prayed to trust Christ on one of the ball fields to surrender to Christ. I said, if you're losing weight to lose weight, it's not going to work. But, but if you can look in the mirror and go, hey, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. If your motive is to worship God, it'll last. If your motive is just to lose weight, to look better, you're, 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 you're going to go through this thing. You've got to have a greater cause for what you're doing. And you start to look going, hey, I want to be physically healthy. One of the greatest things is to get the hope of Christ in you day in and day out. You still may battle weight, Right? I mean, we're all going to battle something. You still may be battling things, but you're, physically you're going to be healthier. Here's another one. People that are hopeful are more successful and uh, more satisfied in life. It doesn't take as much to make them happy. People that are hopeful are willing to help other people in need. Yeah, that's one of the things I've seen with people living in hope. They're willing to extend God's kindness to others. People living in hope see God as loving, caring, and forgiving. People living in hope are more productive. People living with hope are more compassionate. And people with hope live at a higher standard. I start to look at these lives and I'm like, they're more compassionate. They give. They serve. They, they, they are willing to believe that God is good even in the midst of their turmoil. So hope, two things in closing. And then I want you, I want you to check out this powerful testimony. But hope liberates and hope motivates hope will liberate hope releases you from your past you don't have to be chained to your past any longer hope says you don't have to be a prisoner of yesterday hope frees you from the chains that imprison you past failures and hurts you believe that God is loving, God is caring, God is forgiving. And even though you've been betrayed and rejected, something inside of you concludes, God, I, I hope in you, and you tell me that because you are a forgiving God, I can forgive. It might take a little while to trust again, but I'm willing to forgive. I'm not going to hold everything against you. Can I tell you in life, in this room, we've had people that have been betrayed, and we've got people that have been the betrayer. In this room, we've got people that have been the victim and people that have been the violator. The dude standing in front of you right now has betrayed other people. And I've been betrayed. We were talking in prayer earlier. I've betrayed people. Before Christ and even after coming to Christ, I've done things and I'm like, just betrayed their confidence. I've been victimized and violated and I've been the violator. I've said things and done things that hurt people at times. It liberates. I don't care which side of the fence you find yourself on today. Every person in this room has betrayed somebody before. And every person in this room has been betrayed and rejected by somebody before. And if we're not careful, we want to rank sin. And we love to attack what we feel we're less likely to do. 
So the person with the porn addiction or the alcohol or the pill addiction or the immorality, but my narcissism and gossip and pride before God, all of it nailed my Savior to the cross. And we want to rank sin. And Jesus don't rank sin. Jesus forgives sin. So you walk in here today and you're going, I need to be liberated. Dysfunctional family patterns need to be liberated. Past guilt and shame that I wallowed in got to be liberated. I have no confidence. You've got to repent. You've got to be broken. You've got to believe that God can heal you. But reality is, we've all jacked it up. And the Cross Loganville is a place of restoration and healing. And we don't want to see one person miss the hope of the gospel. We don't want to see one person miss it. Because hope sets you free to dream. Hope leads to personal growth. It leads to relational health. It leads to personal spiritual maturation. When a person starts to walk in hope, what can happen? David jacks it up. He writes the majority of the Psalms. He hooks up with a chick that's not his, kills her husband, and he's broken, and he confesses, and he experiences cleansing. And we read and he writes the majority of those psalms, and we go, some of the greatest things I've ever seen written. Who was it written by? People say it was written by an adulterer and a murderer. No, it was written by a guy who was forgiven. My identity is forgiven. My identity is clean. Why? Because the hope of the gospel... My behavior created some collateral damage. But the hope of the gospel, God looks at me today and says, Cash, you're clean, you're righteous, you're justified, you're sanctified, you are declared right in my eyes. I'm like, man, praise God. Hope motivates. Hope helps you bounce back. When you jack it up, when you're living with hope, it helps you bounce back. Every successful person I know has had to bounce back from some type of failure in their own personal journey. They've been knocked down. They've been crushed. They've been afflicted with adversity and turmoil in their soul. And I look going, but you came back. You, you didn't stay defeated. You, you jacked it up, but you ran to the cross and you got it right and you wanted to get help and you quit hiding and lying and covering. You wanted to get right. I'm so proud of you. And some of you come in here today and you're like, man, I just, I just don't know. I, I don't know if God can forgive me for all that I've done. Really? Your mess is too much for him. Your junk is too dirty. I don't believe there's a person on this planet that is outside of the love and grace and forgiveness of the gospel if they respond. The only person that misses it is the one who rejects Jesus, rejects his love, and rejects his hope. So you're telling me if Hitler would have really repented and responded to the gospel? Yes. You're telling me if Dahmer would have repented and really responded, Jesus would have said yes? Yes, I believe that. Yes. Name the most vile, wicked thing that you've done or person you know. If they truly repent and run to Jesus, does it jack with my mind to think that God would extend his love to all? Yes. 
because we live in this ranking sin society. And when we rank sin, it's rank. But hope helps, motivates us to bounce back. Hope looks at what can be instead of what is and was. Hope looks at the future rather than the past. Hope will look out of the windshield and not the rear view as it does life. Hope believes and refuses to empower whatever current valley you're in. Hope hangs on to the 23rd Psalm and screams, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my King and my God and my Master and my Lord is with me. Hope is not stuck in the past. It's a confident anticipation. Hope is the fuel that makes the world a better place. Hope is the fuel of the heart. Hope is God's petroleum to your soul and spirit day in and day out that keeps you going. I, I, I want you to know his hope. I want you to experience his hope. People that have been strengthened with the hope of God change the world. And God can change your life. And God can bring about transformation in your life that can radically change you and change your family and change your community and change this nation and ultimately change the world if you walk in the hope of the gospel. There's people that walk in here every week that have experienced that hope. Mama Kay shared her story weeks back, and I'm like, look at how God has changed her. 82 years old, declaring how good God is. Shelly and Bobby, Shelly, you've shared your story, how seven years of being clean and free, how God has radically changed you guys. One of the most powerful stories, this girl, Kyla, she sent Barb a note a while back and just said, I, I've got to share my story. And I'm like, she sent it to me and I read it and I'm like, how powerful. And I said, Kyla, would you share your story? And she said, yeah. Hi, I'm Kyla Maxwell. I wanted to share my story, and so here it is. I know how it feels. I am a woman who fears God and has been saved by His Son's amazing grace. I have hidden my story for many years in fear of how others would react, but I am now overwhelmed with the desire to share it, to prove that God still works miracles every day in the lives of ordinary people like me and I hope it gives hope to the hopeless. I see people that have experienced similar events in their life and see how passionate they feel about the opposite of what I know saved my life. I recently listened to a story of a pro-choice feminist who spoke very passionately about what she believed in, and it made my blood pressure rise and my heart break at the same time. I decided it's time to share my story and the only reason why I am sharing it today. I can identify with feminists and women rights activists because I have definitely been violated and I know what it, how that can affect a woman's life. I've been raped and my innocence had been stolen from me. My dream of giving myself impurity to my husband had been stolen from me. The dreams of a little girl or quickly turn into anger as a young teenager. I know how it feels to be afraid and vulnerable. I cannot put it into words what it feels like 
after you've been raped. I've been asked that before, and I was at a loss of words. I can say I definitely didn't ever want to talk about it. The only word that could possibly describe how I felt is that I was felt worthless, and that I had done something to deserve this. I know what it feels like to be a teenager with big dreams, and to find out that that one and only time really did equal pregnancy. It really does happen. I know how unreal and scary the positive results to that test are when you know deep inside that you have no support because your only your own family is in the midst of another chaotic and ugly divorce. I know what happens when you're in that position and you want so badly to have your child, but you're so scared to tell anyone and cause more pain and disappointment to a broken family. I know what it feels like when you have that child inside of you and you literally feel it, but you're convinced the best choice is to not choose life. I know what it feels like to wake up after you've made that decision and to feel the weight of that decision immediately immediately hit you in the gut. I know how it feels when your parents find out what you've done only after the fact to tell you you've made the worst decision you could ever make and that is that you've murdered your own child. I know what hell feels like because I felt that in every part of my broken body. I know what the deepest internal pain and regret does to a person. And that's when you realize you took the life of your own flesh and blood away. I know what happens when you try to fix that pain quickly just to survive in this world that we live in. There is no quick fix and you cannot bury your pain. I know what it feels like to wake up and realize that you're a drug addict. I know what it feels like when you cannot even lift your head from your pillow without swallowing a handful of pills. I know what it feels like to literally lose everything in your life, including your freedom, your spouse, your children, your career, with every person in your life doubting you. During huge moments in my life, I didn't have a choice what happened to me. It was out of my control. At other times, I had a choice. I may have been young, I may have been misinformed, I may have been afraid, and I definitely believed many lies, but I had the choices and I made them. I made a lot of great choices, and a lot of, I made a lot of bad choices. I paid for the, those bad choices that I made. I had an abortion. I abused prescription drugs to the point that I became a drug addict. I lied to people that I loved. I stole from people. I became a person I didn't know because I became my bad choices. I became hate and anger and withdrew as far as I could from the God that had allowed this to happen to me. I became all the lies that I believed about myself and I hated myself. I believed so many lies from the enemy. I believed I deserved what happened to me. I believed I deserved to be punished for the rest of my life because of the cho those choices that I made. So I tortured myself. I believed what most people told me that I was those choices that I made. And I became so sick 
that I couldn't even fix the self-destruction that I had caused, no matter how hard I tried. I prayed every night for God to give me the strength to not use the next day, but found myself absolutely powerless holding a handful of pills the next morning. The disease of addiction truly is baffling. I know what it feels like to have true depression, to have darkness and sadness so deep inside of every part of your being that it literally makes your bones ache. I know how it feels to be so hopeless and sad that you can't even lift your head from your own pillow without feeling the weight of a thousand pounds. I know what it feels like to hate yourself so much that you truly believe the best choice you can make is to commit suicide. I also know what happens when you come to the end of yourself and you choose surrender. I know what happens when you start to see grace. The only grace that loves you unconditionally, just the way you are in your mess. I know what it feels like to finally get it. You get that, yes, you did all these horrible things, but you are forgiven and clean. You are not those choices that you made. I know how long it takes, but how light you feel when you realize you are so pure and white as snow. You are loved even when every person on this earth has left you. You are not alone, have never been alone. I know what it feels like to struggle through that truth daily and fight the world's lies with God's truth. I see God, I've seen God make a broken, hopeless drug addict alive, clean, and thriving. I've lived through losing everything I had and watching it all return, one by one, and then gaining much more. I've seen him form a failed marriage into an unbreakable bond. My marriage is a living miracle. The fact that I'm even alive is a miracle. The world continues to become darker and more twisted. The media continues to twist stories and manipulate truth. But I know what it really feels like when you believe the world's lies and when you finally see the light in the darkness. When you get a glimpse of true love like I have in Jesus Christ, you keep fighting the good fight. I fail and mess up all the time, but now I forgive myself. I get up and keep fighting to become what I was destined to be. This beautiful mess that God loved so much that He thought of me before I was created in my mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully. This mess that He gave His only Son for, so that I could stand here clean and adored before Him. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information uh, will answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I-, I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.